0: You could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions. And that means the world to me. And I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much.
1: Uh, With that, we're about to just going to click the live button. We're about to start streaming live to Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Um, If we could make sure that we're muted. um, There we go. Mute that one. Um, and thank you again, everyone, for being here. We encourage you, of course, today's going to be another great, a great, great uh, episode. We're here with the one and only Stephen Petreau. Uh He's written a book that uh, we're excited to get into today. Uh, the name of the book is Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this. So we actually named this segment Smart Versus Stupid uh, okay. just because it's, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek because it, it is... Uh, you know, it's an attention grabber, but it's so important to, to think about those things. So I'm really looking forward to it. But before we, uh, I introduce you to Randy and, and bring Steven Petro on, I'm gonna encourage everyone to, if you're on Clubhouse, make sure you're hitting that little button at the bottom with the arrow, the square, the square with the arrow that says 156. Let's bring that up to 175 or 200 <laughs> to bring people into this conversation, ping some people into this room, because my friends, it is by bringing the right people into the right room to have the right conversation with the right people, I should say, that can really change the the trajectory of somebody's life by bringing different things into perspective and highlighting things that perhaps are smart and some that are stupid, some that you should do, some that you can't do. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. So share this room on Clubhouse. And if you're listening on Facebook, LinkedIn, or YouTube, by all means, click share, because my friends, we can indeed uh, be an influencer by just influencing one life. That's all we need to do. So speaking of influencers and people that are changing the world, uh, I guess you know one letter, one book, one one smart idea or bad idea at a time. What not to do? Uh, the one and only Stephen Petro is here with us, as is Randy Kenneth Jones. So, Randy, take it away.
2: <laughs> it's the B team! Yay! <laughs> I am Amelia Lights. I am Amelia Lights with my friend Stephen, and I think it's Petro. Oh, we can't hear you, Stephen. Steven we can't hear you. Steven, you've got to
1: unmute your mic on Clubhouse.
2: You unmute your mic on Clubhouse. There's all these <laughs> we're teaching you all the little technology nonsense that we're up to today. <clears throat> unmute your mic on
1: Clubhouse. On the lower right-hand corner of your phone screen, there's a little microphone just there. There you go. Okay, it said the host had muted my mic so I was confused. But anyway, yes, it's
3: Petro, but Tony and I just met moments ago, so we're good. So we can just
2: call him
1: Tony. (laughs) Actually, if we were in (laughs) Portugal, that's exactly how it is. It's Tony. So there you go. Tony.
2: Tony. And we can call me Randy. Tony. That is
1: what we call you. Thank you so
2: much for coming in. We had a guest who was not able to be here at the last minute. Stephen, very graciously with one minute's notice. Well, one minute. Within one minute, you said yes, because you're a courteous, polite person. You have been on the show before. You, this book, a game changer for me, stupid things I won't do when I get old. <clears throat> We're gonna get to that. Uh, if you can hear, I'm actually, get this, getting over laryngitis. Like I've had it for a week. Me, 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 not being able to talk. Me, me. I mean, you. there's nothing- I'm glad you're to, through it. Well, no, actually, uh, Tony, you know what we, the joke was on my podcast this week, that my guests finally have a chance to talk because <laughs> I can't, so. <laughs> There's there's two topics I want to get into. One that you and I have not discussed either on my podcast or on this show. Mm -hmm. We met through a very special person. Yes, we did. Very special. A woman named Peggy Post, the former executive director of the Emily Post Institute. I will say this year, for those familiar with the book, Emily Post's Etiquette, The I mean, it's still (laughs) it, it still stands for everything courtesy, manners, etiquette. It's still the book that every other book that followed wanted to be. It is 100 years old. It was written in 1922. I do know that the family is issuing the 20th edition of the etiquette book this year. I'm and to have Peggy Post as my friend and as my supporter and in my camp for so long has been a blessing of huge magnitude and she deposited you in my life which yep. is yes but she you did. but but let's talk about because you also you came from a civility background
3: you call mm-hmm. yourself
2: a civilist.
3: I call myself a civilist. Yes. Well, let let me just uh, make sure that nobody who is listening to you thinks that uh, Peggy Post is one hundred years old. It is the institute and the book. Peggy is. Um, oh, I so believe... you're
2: just doing that because you're going to send her this recording and have? Of it. course, I am. And, and, I
3: know what's and, going on. And Randy, so you know, we refer to her as Mrs. Post. We
2: we, we do we call
3: I call her Mrs. Post, I do too. To and you, I call you. Mrs.
2: Post. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
3: you no, know, she's 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 always very kind. We've been in touch recently, and um, I I met Peggy when I was actually on book tour for one of my uh, manners books. It was about ten years ago, <laughs> and I had I was so intimidated to to meet you know you know, the descendant of Emily Post. And I thought, you know, even though I'm generally well-behaved, I was just gonna completely mess up. But um, she is, you know, she's such a gracious person. She made me feel so comfortable. She's so real. You know, that's one of the things I really love about her. And um, and I think that is that is really her legacy in, in, in much of all this, you know. Sort of being, well, I've no, I've authentic. done everything
2: wrong. I, I spill things. I talk with my mouth full. I, I mean, I, I'm a disaster. I am a walking manners nightmare. How are we school. friends with you? How oh, are we I know, friends with you? I know. I mean, I'll even do. Oh, I can't even. It's so funny. And she is so gracious and kind and so human, because manners and etiquette. Emily had said that etiquette is making the other person comfortable, and that's Peggy,
4: mm-hmm. because she
2: really doesn't judge. My faux pas and the grand scheme of things are small. Because Peggy will judge you by your heart and I feel comfortable and very that she's judged my heart in a positive way because the rest of me is a disaster I mean you put up with me so how did how did civility become your career path early on well I always like to joke that
3: when I was growing up as, as a child you know I told my parents oh I want to be an etiquette advice columnist and and um, that was not true i wanted to be a meteorologist so i don't really know what happened but i started out uh, giving a lot of advice to people i guess i had some basic common sense you know in my 20s and then i fell into a magazine column and all things came, seemed seem to start with a magazine column and before i knew it i had my first book it was the result of a blind date i actually had been set up with um with a, a very nice man and um he collected vintage cookbooks, I collected vintage etiquette books. We both had had cancer and our friend, Laurie Grinker, thought, oh, well, this will just be a great match. Well, it wasn't a great romantic match, but it was a great friendship match. And uh, he was an art editor at HarperCollins and he uh, he took took me on and took my first book. And that was the great um, sardonic comedy writer, David Rakoff, who, um, who has unfortunately passed um, from his cancer, but. Uh, that kind of um, sort of leapfrogged me into, um, into these leagues. And um, from there, it's been one thing after another, one problem after another.
2: Are, are, well, talk about that, good <laughs> segue. Are you as surprised as I am by how, as my grandma Jones would say, how hateful we've become? In a million years, I would have not told you in 2010 that we would be such a, grandma Jones, hateful society so judgmental so i i have to believe that the fact that people can hide well frankly right now i'm hidden i'm still on clubhouse but i'm still a voice Mm -hmm. that's getting not it's not like somebody can be here to really do anything to me if i say something they don't like you know are you shocked by this level of dissension hate you know it's
3: it's really been it's been a long time coming and, um, you know, we can see from surveys about civility how we've gotten to this point because we've become sort of increasingly dissatisfied with, with civil life in this country, with the way people treat each other, with the lack of uh, basic respect, with the fact that we really don't know how to listen to people anymore. And part of that is, you know. Part of it, it's easy to blame social media for that. You know, we get in our silos, we type in caps, we kind of shout, we don't have to have, we don't have to be friends with people that we don't agree with anymore. But uh, it's it's kind of easy to blame technology. We have to own our behaviors. You know, you know, we look at politicians and we say, well, that's egregious behavior, that's egregious behavior. But we have to look at what we do in our daily lives and, and own that and change that. And um, I've kind of started this new, um, uh, set of commitments and one thing i'm trying to do is to be kind to someone else at least once a day and there's actually a number of theories about the viral nature of kindness you know we kind of know the viral nature of being mean and being being a bully that gets replicated same thing is true when we're nice to people so if i'm nice to you randy Tony, you're going to likely do something nice to someone else. And that's, that's what we're trying to do here. We need to model that behavior and change the tone.
1: Yeah. I love it. If I, if I may just jump in a random act of kindness is mm-hmm. contagious, right? You know, we we've been talking about contagion for the last two years. Well, we can also be exactly. kindness. You know what, we should have a pandemic of kindness, right. And just spread it everywhere because it does start with you. Um, and I absolutely love that. And unfortunately, you know, and we, just as just before this, we're not going to get into that conversation, but just before the show started, I said that the biggest problem that we have in this country is and the world is we've lost the ability to have a civil discourse, to have a, 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 a debate, a civil debate and still walk away as friends as opposed to, you know, you're wrong and I hate you and I want you to end. And, you know, it's, it's just too aggressive yet. Yes, the media has a lot to do with it. Social media has a lot to do with it. But so do our leaders, right? And that's what's happening right now. Our political mm-hmm. leaders and the people that we watch on TV on a daily basis, they're so filled with so much hate and anger towards each other, which honestly, I think it's a lot of it is political theater because I believe that half those people mm-hmm. go out to lunch afterwards anyway. Yeah. But they're playing so much to their base, but they're doing that. And then people at home watch that and they're like, well, I guess that's the new norm and they do the same thing. So it starts with, you know that's where, why we we are lacking strong leaders, and uh, so I just wanted to jump in and say that. No, you know we're having this conversation. To, I'm going to point this
2: out because I love this source. You know who else does the same, the random act of kindness, one per day. Who? Vanna White. Vanna White told me, and she said, "I have never told this to anyone." So when I found out, Vanna said, "I'm going to tell you something I've never told anyone." I thought, "Oh my God!" Mm-hmm. You've interviewed with everybody. But on my podcast, she said she tries to do one nice thing, even if it's just letting them cut in in traffic per day. Yeah. Now, being what we know about Vanna White, that cannot be that big of a surprise. No, it's not. She would but... be that kind of a person. I, I don't. What is it going to take to get people to? Is it think before, all the things my mom taught me, that my grandmother taught me, that Emily Post, think before you speak, uh, the, the golden rule, uh, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, You're I'm not saying it correctly. Mm -hmm. What's he going to take? to make that to raise that consciousness so people behave better. You know what? And I'm going to point out, too, I love this room. I love the people that come into this room. These are good, kind people. These are people that more than likely are we're preaching to the wrong choir. Well, because they're the ones more likely to be kind and from my experience,
3: you know, I think we all have the capacity to be kind and, you know, we look to different role models, whether they're political leaders, whether they're celebrities. I mean, I love I love that about Van and white, you know, and the more that celebrities also model better behavior that, you Mm -hmm. know, that helps us because that's covered, you know, that's covered in people magazine and all the tabloids. And, you know, as much as we don't want to look there, we do look there. But, you know, we also say, well, this is so hard to do. If you look to the pandemic, you know, which we're still at the tail end of, you know, people acted so much better during the pandemic overall, you know, and especially at the beginning, do you remember the fight, you know, remember in New York city at 7 PM every night, people would come out and clamor and, you know, really support the um, first responders and provide, you know, food and other other things. That's what we're talking about. It's not really a big deal. And, um, you know, we're not going to get there until we say that that's what we want and that's how we act. And I think we're really at that point.
2: I, don't you? At your I, my core, I believe people are good, though. I really do. Am I naive? Am I naive to think that at my core well, people yeah, I, are good? I would
3: never say that you're not naive, Randy. <laughs> 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 but but I I do think you know I do think um, people are at their core good. I think that you know, and here's again where the pandemic has not been our friend we've been isolated we're lonely um you know we're dealing with all sorts of like societal problems from inflation from war in ukraine so on and so forth you know that kind of just um raises the temperature and i i have you know i've found you know i have snapped at various times when normally i don't think that i would have and it's been um you know, i've been kind of surprised and then I try to own it and and apologize but it's 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 a challenging time you know and the mental health problems are
2: really increasing the past several years and that has a big impact too one of the things that i have said my children are 31 and 33 that i truly don't think we've invented a new way to misbehave so we're so critical of the millennials and the younger kids well we were being criticized too i'm i'm 60 this year we were being criticized you know, I think we're always criticizing kids, but I'm going to give you an example because this really did surprise me. I was teaching a class on storytelling mm-hmm. to a corporate group. And I had one of the students and I'm very, I, I believe my public speaking, my storytelling classes are based on positive reinforcements, what you do right. Mm-hmm. I try to emphasize more what you do right to really build upon those because so much of that is just making them feel good about themselves. So I have a student call me because she came in she did not do the assignment correctly. She wasn't, in fact, telling the story. She, she made an introduction, but she did not include a story. And I said, you know what? You're not including the story. You're not actually doing what you know, we had wanted. Why don't you sit down and we'll come back to you? So we, one by one, every student gets up and they do the assignment wrong. And I discovered that every single one of them has not read the article that I gave them and is winging it. Mm -hmm. There's no preparation whatsoever. They ran in at the last minute to do it. And therefore, since they didn't pay attention, they all did it wrong. And I'm going politely from person to person to person, explaining that you did this wrong. I have student number one call me and she starts. Well, I just wanted to share with you that this is how you made me feel. And I went, oh, my God, really? And I'm being nice, I'm being Mm -hmm. nice, but I'm hearing what I believe we have taught the and I, I, I pre I appreciate the approach rather than attacking this is how I felt. But in my mind, I'm going seriously, basically, the cheater is calling me and telling me that I made her feel bad for cheating. I mean, that's the way I saw it. And I was like, Oh, my God, where how did this happen? I was very nice and I explained to me, I said, how do you think I felt when seven people, one after the other, got up and disrespected my time and did not do what they had agreed to do?
3: And did she answer you? What was her answer to that?
2: She, well, no, she actually, she engaged in a really good conversation. I mean, she's real, real, real. And that's the thing, she's such a good person. They're all lovely people, every single person. But I was shocked that, that she she actively made an excuse for simply not doing the work that she was supposed to do and, and, and telling me how I made her feel. And I was nice. Her feelings were based on her experience. She made those up on her own. I mean, she was feeling guilty because she didn't do it right. You know, I knew that I didn't do that.
1: Well, we also tend yeah. to live in a victim society these days. Everybody's, you know, got to be offended by something. Doesn't matter what you're saying. Somebody's going to be offended by it. Uh, and everybody's a victim, and again, that's kind of being propagated, unfortunately, by leadership. Um, so it's, it's just it's it's an interesting, uh, actually, conversation to have today and every day. So uh, loving loving
3: it. Yeah, I don't. You know, Randy, though, I don't know how much it's generational because I I will I'll, I'll be the first to admit when I was in college I was not. Um... I was not the student that necessarily I would like to have had, you know, where I teach, you know, I got, I went into class often unprepared, so on and so forth. And um, so I tend I, I tend not to think that sort of the generational blame game is very helpful in either direction because often, you know, Gen Z and so on, they will blame um, boomers, et cetera, for, for for much of the world's problems and, and we are responsible for much of them. But that doesn't get us anywhere and you know Blaming them by generation, I think you know, just kind of reaching out and making connection with someone and having you know, having conversations that matter, where you get to express yourself and where, in this case, she does. That's how we that's how we change people.
2: I just I found it so surprising that it happened because it's probably the first time that I actually saw an example of what I thought was a something that was actively being taught to a younger generation that was probably mm-hmm. not taught to me. Yeah, because it was just a surprise. What topics, when you're discussing civility, what topics are you, what's coming up the most these days? Well, um, we complain a lot. I'm complaining, okay? I'm going to, I'm raising my hand. I'm admitting. I'm complaining. Everybody's so mean. Boo-hoo-hoo. I'm going to take my toys and go home. I'm complaining. We're all complaining about how rude and mean and awful everything is. And I'm, I'm joining that group right now and admitting to that. I'm begging you to tell us (laughs) what you're talking about right now that is helping people get beyond that.
3: Well, what I am talking and writing about a lot these days is language and why language matters. And, you know, so that that gets kind of controversial pretty quickly, because if you're on, you know, if you're on the right and, you know, and, and you will then be accusing me of being woke or overly woke in terms of um, talking, about, talking about language. And, um, you know, and some on the left also you know, don't like this, but I'm, I'm very much a, a believer in using words that convey respect. So for instance, if someone is transgender and they have changed their name or they've changed um, their pronouns, um, they may be using they, them, and their instead of he or she. Um, even if it's new to us, even if it's unfamiliar to us, we should follow their lead. Um, You know, language evolves. We evolve as people. And, um, you know, for so long, you know, those who have, you know, written the dictionaries and really been in charge and in control of, uh, you know, our language have been the established um, power elites, which have generally been white men. And so that is shifting and, or that has shifted. And that, that kind of provides, you know, part of the, you know, the angst in between. But um, so there is a letting go of power and there is kind of a new power source that that is coming with, um, you know, how we refer to so- ourselves and, and the kind of words that we use to describe ourselves.
2: Is it safe to say that think before you speak is still a really, really, really good idea?
3: You know, think before you speak, but also listen before you speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. again, you know, we talked a little bit about this, but we're not such great listeners. We often don't don't even bother to listen. And I think there's so much to be gained in any kind of communication by listening you know i'm listening carefully to you today and, and you too tony
2: well and the other thing that's i've heard more and more and more came up on my podcast recently uh, actually erin brockovich brought it up on my podcast recently that we are listening to respond not listening to understand
3: mm-hmm. yeah you know we'll, we'll i believe
2: it. that to be very true yeah
3: and I think, we, you know, we, you know, we, we participate in conversations so that we'll just have, you know, enough of the moment to, like, be cogent in some sort of, you know, reply, whether it's snarky or not, rather than, what are they trying to say? What, what, is, what is someone trying to communicate to me? And, um, and then engaging on that level. And we need to go a little bit deeper. And we need, you know, part of this is a vulnerability. We need to find um, ways to be more vulnerable with each other. And I think we're afraid to do that in part because we've kind of built up defenses. And in part, you know, if you make a mistake these days, you can be attacked and, and that's a scary proposition. And, you know, as a public speaker myself, I'm much more concerned about, um, you know, saying something that could be misinterpreted um, today than, than five years ago. And so I listen harder as a result.
2: Oh, I'm a touchy-feely, huggy guy, and it's ruined me. <laughs> Between that and the pandemic, it's ruined me. I mean, yeah, I'm, I just love it to give everybody a hug. And... Well, you know what it is?
1: Go ahead. Sorry, Randy. Go,
2: no, no, no. Go ahead, Tony. Please.
1: I was going to say, we are living part of a cancel culture, which is another, another problem is everyone's so overly sensitive that if somebody says, because we have to remember... You know, there is the the right of free speech within limitations of course. Yet sometimes just because someone doesn't agree with you, the other side, it's the cancel culture. They just everyone attacks you. And that's kind of that double-edged sword of social media. You can be destroyed because someone misinterpreted what you said and today with editing software and everything else. They can just show the snippets that make you sound like a monster or take things out of context. So we do live in an interesting time. Yet I do believe that when you speak your mind, the 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 people, you're, you know, they say your vibe attracts your tribe. Well, when you speak your truth, regardless of whether it's popular with one side or the other, you're going to bring the people to you that believe and have the same ideologies as you and everything else. Yet so many people are so afraid of being canceled, and they are, there's people that have their facebook accounts twitter accounts instagram accounts shut down because uh someone decided that they disagreed with that language and all these fact checkers that we're not even going to get into that uh just you know they just shut people down so people are afraid to speak out and that's why oftentimes people are pretending to be someone they're not because they're afraid if they speak out they're gonna get canceled
2: i'm i'm gonna i had an epiphany this week and i love it that i'm almost 60 and i still have epiphanies and they make me happy um I had Allie Landry, the Doritos girl, Allie Landry, on my, my podcast this week. And we were talking about um, one of the discussions we had was that, oh, actually, no, it was last week. Linda Spellman, who is. Actually- hey, listeners. If
4: you enjoy listening to Breakfast with Champions, we can bet you care about your daily routine. Do you want to know the secret to the perfect routine? It's the perfect morning. Glenn has written a free ebook called The Morning Five Five Simple Steps to an Extraordinary Morning you can transform your morning you can transform your life head on over to themorning5.com to learn more about the five ways you can change the way you start your day
2: actually has written a book and she's coming on our show next week so sorry linda spellman and i were having this discussion about that it's fear is caused by what you don't know what you don't know or understand causes mm-hmm. fear and i realized my epiphany was i fear that i won't know or I won't understand. And I had never verbalized that before. I realized that my work here Mm -hmm. with Amelia, my work on Jones.Show, my podcast, is my fear that I'm not going to know, my fear that I'm not going to be smart enough, my fear that I'm not going to understand, my fear that I'm not going to show support, my fear that that, that I'm not going to learn everything I want to learn, my fear that I'm not going to accomplish what I want to accomplish is my fear that I'm not going to help the people I want to help.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'm not, I do not say anything to brag. I found myself under every bus too. So I'm not, I'm not bragging, but I just wish that now that I had this epiphany, I want to find a way to share that epiphany with the world. Well, fear think- can lead to wonderful things. If you want to overcome the fear by gaining knowledge. But fear can really hold us back, as as you're indicating,
3: mm-hmm. prevent us from reaching out, from getting closer to people and from taking chances. You know, that is part of what life is about as well. And uh, I think there's just so much fear in this country now. It's really a societal.
1: It's, it's it's frightening. Yeah. Tony, do
2: people... a quick room reset because I actually know I, I've got a segue. I got a Segway. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Fear keeps people in their comfort zone. So they're afraid to get out of that comfort zone and open their mind to another thought, another idea. But we need to free our minds, free our voices. And and feel free to go explore to go learn to go have that conversation that uncomfortable conversation so love that love this conversation speaking of conversations so thank you all for being here both thank you to everybody that's on Facebook and YouTube and LinkedIn watching us live by the way if you're on Clubhouse you could just follow me or Randy uh and uh and on Facebook or YouTube or LinkedIn and find this stream so you can watch us not just listen to us for those of you on Clubhouse we thank you for being here we encourage you of course both on social media and on Clubhouse to share this conversation, share this room, invite people uh, to partake in this conversation. I know a few friends of mine have already shared uh, this video out, so thank you for doing that. Uh, On Clubhouse, make sure that you're clicking the little box at the bottom uh, and share this room to your hallway so it's easier for people to find us ping some people into this conversation as well, the wins that you know could and should be here that need to hear this, that need to hear that smart versus stu- stupid conversation. Perhaps the things that you don't want to do, you shouldn't do as you get older. So, uh, th- And we're going to get into that a little deeper in this next half hour. So thank you so much for being here. And of course, we encourage you to click the link up at the top. It is pinned, Stupid Things I Won't Do When I Get Old. Uh, You can find that on Amazon. So the link to Amazon is pinned up there. And um, if you could, Tara, also pin that to on Facebook and uh, LinkedIn and YouTube and all those other spots so people can find us. Matter of fact, I'm going to change the banner. I just realized that we still have uh, the Design Genius banner going underneath our screen here. I'm going to go ahead and change that temporarily as well. So, again, thank you all for joining us. And let's carry on with this incredible conversation with the the (laughs) one and only Stephen and Randy.
2: I said, let's call this smart versus stupid, and I realized that some people probably think, "Oh, Steven is the smart one, and Randy is the stupid <laughs> one." Well, you know, you know, I can't completely argue with, that. yeah. Oh. <laughs> I I, I,
3: I don't think we're things. on a reality show here, and there's not someone who's going to be kicked off Randy or Tony. <laughs> and, uh, and Tony, thank you for th- thank you for mentioning for mentioning the book. It's um, uh, it's actually just a year now that it's been published, and. You know, As a writer, it's always very gratifying to um, you know, to see how many people I've reached and to see how conversations have, um, have originated from, from that book, which is really about trying to make smarter decisions as we get older and to understand those decision points. Uh, which...
2: There is this, sp- something came up just now. Mm-hmm. When I jump in, it's because I'm all excited. You know what? Here's the sad thing is I have to listen to understand and I have to listen to respond. Mm-hmm. I realize I don't have a choice doing what I do. I got to be able to do both. But you said something about language and using language that respects the person earlier. Mm-hmm. There is a, one of my favorite stories and stupid things I won't do when I get old is the caregiver for your father, referring to him as professor. I remember this. Yes. Because by, he, he'd been retired for quite some time. But by referring to him as professor, she was respecting how he saw himself. And they had this wonderful relationship. And it is, oh, it's just one of my favorite, favorite, favorite stories from this book.
3: Yeah, I'll just tell a little bit more about that. I I hear my dog is starting to to bark. uh... We never know.
2: Yeah, my dog, Alexander, has no problem joining the Conversation Ear Eater. So we're good,
3: we're good. But um, yeah, my dad had um, taught journalism at NYU for I think twenty-five or thirty years, and uh, he was always referred to as Professor Petro. And you know, you could see when he was working, he would just light up that way. And then, um, and then he retired. He had an illness, and um, you know, which really restricted his life. And my mom and my siblings and I, we you know, we really tried to um, we tried to be respectful of him. We tried to you know help him in, in many ways. He was stubborn, he was angry, uh, he was hurting and we were not being very successful. And then, then as you mentioned, you know, we had a new health aide and, and one day she just referred to him as Professor Petro. And I guess she would seen a diploma or some award on, in, his, in his study and, and he lit up again. And I could see that by that use of language, he felt like the person he had been who had been so respected was, was being um, made visible again. And um, and so this aide, you know, whenever she needed or wanted him to do something, which normally he just would have said no, she would refer to him as professor, and he would say yes. Now, the, my brother, or sister, and I, we did not start calling him professor, but we did see really sort of the impact of um, helping him to see that we continue to see him as a full person you know, in the, in the way that he had been. And I think, you know, we all want to be seen and we all want to be seen for, you know, the full range of of, of who we are and we can lose, we can lose sight of that for all sorts. Let me tell you,
2: I live in Naples, Florida. I mean, I am surrounded by people begging to be relevant. I am surrounded by people who were big shots at one point in time, and they still want to be treated that way. They don't always earn the right to be treated that way, but they certainly want it at relevance feeling that you have purpose feeling that you're needed, that you're wanted. I'm so aware of that. Okay, so let me do my commercial for you, how much I love this book. You know, you can be quiet for a minute because you know I, I love the book and you'll let me do the commercial. I am, as I said, almost 60. My mother passed away a few years ago. I live in a community where loss is really part of my almost daily life. Somebody I know I, I'm losing. I lost someone named Myra Daniels, who was the catalyst for every, my first interview 10 years ago when I started doing these interviews. Uh, I lost her this week. So I, my father is 91. He lives on his own. I'm so aware of loss. I'm so aware of, you know, wow, I don't keep it if I don't think my kids are going to want it. and I'm only 16. Mm-hmm. And I tell them that I said, if I don't really think you're going to want it at some point in time, I'm not going to keep it this book to me opens a conversation that i think is so critically important not just about how i want to age the stupid things i don't want to do and we've also discovered i do many 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 stupid things but i think it helps you to help your elderly parents and you may be 35 or 40 and i'm sorry but you know what it's not too early to start you know, thinking about reading books like this and becoming aware of trying to be the the best support system you can be for your mm-hmm. parents in the future. So, I want to thank you for the book. I, I will laughingly say to you, I told you I was going to say where I couldn't find it, I couldn't find it, I didn't know where it was. I put it, it was on my husband's nightstand where mm-hmm. it is set for like six months, meaning he's not read it. So, The stupid one, ooh, Derek's not here to hear it, is him for not reading this book yet. So that's where I found it. Cliff notes of why you wrote it so that I can get into some of the meat of the book.
3: Well, so I, um, soon after I turned 50 and I'm 64 now, uh, I saw my parents kind of beginning to enter this new chapter of their lives. And they were making various decisions that I thought were not actually in their own best interest. I mean, they were, and they were, some some sillier things like, um, well they weren't really silly, but like my mother was very much into um, how her home looked, and she did not want to rearrange anything or even pick up some of the throw rugs, although my dad kept tripping on them and falling. Um, and then she, you know, refused to um, refuse to give up driving, even though she was almost um, hitting people and and so on. So I started keeping this list of things that I wasn't going to do, and it was really meant to be. Uh, pledges to myself um, when I became a little bit older. And then I wrote a, an essay in the New York Times about this and it went viral as they say. And I got about 200 lists from other people doing very much the same thing. The stupid things they weren't gonna do, it was hilarious. There was a lot of overlap, but I could see that we were a generation that was trying to be smarter, do smarter than our parents. And so that's how, that's how the book came to be. And those are the kind of conversations that, um, you know, That that we've had. It's kind of funny. I don't think you can see it. I'm gonna see if this this works. So um this stepladder is right here. And the first time I had to implement one of these was about a year ago. And I have this bookshelf behind me, and I needed to get a book off the top. And so I I got on the desk and I got my another foot on the chair, and I'm jumping up in the air trying to reach this book, and I go. That is one of those stupid things to even stop it. And there's a stepladder right, you know, right right in the closet. But today, as it turned out, just serendipitously, I needed a book from there, too. I didn't even think about it. I went and got the stepladder. And so you know, these are kind of uh, the decisions we might not think about, but they're little trade-offs where, OK, maybe it's impacting me a little bit. It's infringing on my, you know, my 30-something self, but it's, it's helping me to stay independent, helping me to stay uninjured. And so there, there are lots of um, little decisions that we make every day that can help us live um, better and smarter. And so,
2: oh yeah, Ken Jones been changing a light bulb on his own, and he fell down. My dad did. My dad's in great shape, And I'm like, Dad, I would, I shouldn't. I work at home alone. I shouldn't be changing a light bulb. Yeah, by myself. Yeah. You know, my, what am I doing? You my
3: my next door neighbor talking? thinks I wrote this book about him because <laughs> um, because he he's now 80 and he asked me one day would you hold the ladder for me while i go clean my gutters i said no i'm not going to hold the ladder for you while you go clean your gutters we each have a a a young man his name is eli he's 17. we'll hold the ladder for him while he cleans our gutters And, um, (laughs) and then um and then my neighbor said okay and then he went up to his mountain house decided to saw down a tree all by himself the tree fell on him it was not a good thing. So, you know, we have to make adjustments. But uh, the reason is because we want to stay a part of this. We want to stay connected, you know, in metaphoric and literal ways.
2: I'm going to say a few of my favorites. Uh, oh my, Because this could go on forever. Because I do want to open this up. Because we've got the courtesy conversation. We've got the conversation about this brilliant book. I'm going to say a few of my favorite things that you said in the book. And you get to pick one. My favorite, favorite, favorite is I won't pass up a chance to pee. I live that one. That one, that one's a big one. I won't pass up a chance to be. I won't limit myself to friends my own age. Mm -hmm. Stay rooted in the here and now and not obsess over all those what ifs. I won't play the age card. I found that very interesting. Um, Let's see. i like to... Some other comments... Oh, I did the treat him as an adult. Um, oh, you know what? This is the one I'm most likely to be have a problem with. I, uh, this is a quote by you. I also like to thank that by staying active and engaged, I will always have a new supply of stories to tell from last week and last month, and not have to rely on the ones from the last century for small talk. I can only maximize my Pat Benatar singing Telegram story. I, it's literally, I've already told it for 40 years. I, I think I'm almost out of time. But I you're always I'm interviewing new
3: people. You're always interviewing new people and have new stories, Radney. So you're you're on top uh, of your game. Well, you
2: know what? And I'm saying that sarcastically because I have right. I do have new stories all the time because all the time. Um, yeah. but I'm very very lucky. So pick one and and go into it and talk about it.
3: Well, I just want to acknowledge we have um, Robert and Dana, especially being very active. Robert this. and Dana
2: are fired up. I
3: know. I'm not agreeing with everything, but like Dana just said, I'm not getting old. Um, I guess maybe, maybe he or she is talking about um, you know, old state of mind, but we are, we are also sort of increasing in years. Um, but it's really you know how we understand that and um, and how we can start to make better associations with being older. You know we kind of think of being old as you know decrepit, um, gray, frail, um, rather than wise, um, active, and and so on. But you know the ones that you mentioned, Randy. I think what really strikes me is the importance of having intergenerational friendships. Mm-hmm. You know I think anytime you're just with one cohort you start to get limited and there's studies that show that if you're older or if you're younger and you have friends that are older and younger than you, there's just so much more going on. You're able to share experiences. You're able to um, have new experiences. And there's a sociologist who, who has come up with this wonderful term. It's called being a perennial. So instead of being a Z-er or a millennial or a boomer, perennials are curious. Perennials are engaged. You can be a perennial at any age. You can be a perennial at 25, at 50, you can still be a perennial at, at 80. And I think that is a way you know, all of us um, should want to be, can want to be, and and um, kind of takes away some of these generational divides that we were talking about earlier and helps us to stay active, engaged, and, and, and happy and feel like we have worth and that we're providing um, uh, substance
2: to others in certain ways. Would that be Gina Pell by any chance? That would be Gina Pell, so I'm just I'm kind of showing off that I have it in my notes because that's actually ap- the perennial thing is absolutely one of my favorite aspects of this. Mm-hmm. Fascinating for me that happened recently. Sound like a commercial for me. But my first fiction book comes out. Mark Victor Hansen from Chicken Soup for the Soul is publishing it. It's called Ruby. Mm-hmm. It comes out in the fall. What's even and I live in a community where I'm youngish.
4: Mm-hmm. I'm
2: sliding up the scale, but I'm still youngish. So having relationships and friendships at different ages is much more difficult to do where I am. I'm lucky two of my best friends are my children. They're great. Mm -hmm. But I have to point out one of the aspects of this book is that, and this is what Mark Victor Hansen wanted, he asked me to do, every character was above age 60. All, every main character was above the age of 60. They all live, laugh, learn, and love, proving that that still happens beyond the age of 60. But what's interesting I've got all these beta readers who read it, guess what age group is getting into it the most? The youngsters, mm-hmm. the 20 somethings, the 30 somethings and the 40 somethings yeah. are the ones that are finding all the subtext and the ones that, and they're not reading a book about old people because I didn't write a book about old people. They just happened to be that age.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And that was a, such a big epiphany for me that my younger friends were getting my work on a level that I didn't anticipate—extraordinary. Well, I, I, what? What? And I, had I not given them the chance? I mean, initially it's like, oh yeah, my 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 audience is 45 plus. That's it. I was so yeah. wrong.
3: Well, you I know, was so I was wrong. I was surprised too with this book because um, when it came out, I thought the audience was really going to be mostly 55 plus. And then I've done a lot of bookstore events and 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 public talks over the year. And they've really been sort of two distinct groups. They've been um, 55 plus and then they've really been like 30 to 55 and they're the, they're the kids of you know, their parents. And, and often they've come together and they've used the conversation in the book to have conversations and to start conversations between themselves. And, and you know this, Randy, about me, I try to bring humor into some of these, into a lot of these topics because they're kind of hard. Aging, disability, vanity, illness, uh, death and dying. And so there, there is a lot of humor in here, but it's a way to open things up, make things a little bit less scary. And, you know, and I've made myself vulnerable in this book in part so that others can follow suit and realize, okay, you
2: know, oh, you are honest. You are, you are honest to a fault. Yes, I am honest to a
3: fault. And you know, and and don't go where I think you're going. I'm
2: not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I would. Tony, Tony, I, I, Tony, I talk in the book
3: about erectile dysfunction. (laughs) I own it. Uh, Um, but Randy really made a banner headline out of it last year. Oh,
1: that's funny. Now, listen, I love the fact that you put this book, and I can't wait to get it because the reality of it is the people who need to read it are the 30 to 55 so that they can start making those pivots and those corrections before they get there, right? That's why you wrote the book, not just to let people know, but to kind of forewarn. You know, they say forewarned is forearmed, right? exactly. And that knowledge is potential power. If you know, at least if you screw it up, you know you screwed it up. Right. (laughs)
2: I want to open this up. I mean, like I said, these shows can always last hours. Um, uh, Please, everybody in the room, give a thought to some questions you may have for Stephen Petro. I'm kidding. Tony, Tony, you start. What question do you have for Stephen? And then we're going to allow people from the room to to jump in and ask a question.
1: Fantastic. And by the way, uh, I I prefer that you put your question, uh, send it to Tara or put your question in the chat so we can... Uh, we can kind of go in order so that we don't have an unruly unmiking of a thousand people at once. So. I will
2: let you guide that process and I will just smile and be happy and appreciative.
1: All right well, I, and I'm going to allow Tara to message me so that we know who to who to pick up. Uh, so listen, fantastic. So let me ask you a question the question that I guess I have is what is that one thing that you're like there's just, you know, Obviously you have a whole bunch of things in this book and I love that you had other people come in and, and write two hundred li- lists and mm-hmm. send you stuff. What's that one or two top or to say that your top three to not limit you to one? What are those top three things that you're like, hell no, I I'm not I've done it before and definitely not gonna do it and nobody should do it. What would the, what would those be?
2: It's the well, P one.
3: It's the P one. That's a good one, by the way. Well that that that, that... <laughs> <laughs> that that is that is Randy's takeaway. Um, you know the P one, which is you know go to the bathroom um, even if you don't think you have to. That is more um, <laughs> male oriented than, <laughs> than female oriented. I want to I want to note that. So. Uh... And I, you know, I learned that lesson when I was on um the uh, four hundred five in Los Angeles and mm-hmm. uh, tried to use a uh, Coke bottle as a pee bottle, and that was um, kind of a disaster. So uh, yes, I've learned that. But you know, one of the ones that has had a lot of resonance is uh, the chapter that's called um, "I Won't Join the Organ Recital," and mm-hmm. um, and the organ recital. To uh, to tell those not familiar with that phrase is. You, know, you tend to get a group of people, 50 or 55 plus, and the conversations when we were younger would be like, what's happening in our jobs? What's happening with our kids? What, where do we go on vacation? And now they're like, what's happening with our bodies? And I've got an ache here. I'm going to the doctor for this. I've got sciatica and so on and so forth. And you know, it kind of like spirals and snowballs so that you, know, it seems like all we are are our ailments. And um, And the problem with that is we're not. Um, But studies have shown that, you know, the more we define ourselves that way, the more we talk about ourselves that way, the more we think about ourselves that way. And that's that's kind of the, the negative associations with aging. And that cuts our life short our longevity can be up to seven and, a half life, seven and a half years shorter if we think that aging is a negative thing. So, you know, we kind of really want to um, break, break out of that and I say, you know, limit, limit conversations about illness or aches and pains to, you know, to one drink and then, and, then, and then move on and especially if they're um, younger people around, you know, we don't want them just to say, oh, that's who these people are. They're ill, they're infirm, you know, rather than they're active, they're vibrant, they're doing things, they're volunteering, yeah. so on and so I'm forth. I'm raising
2: my hand saying it's easy to, to get sucked into that conversation, I'm admitting that. I live in Naples, Florida. I've, I've been part of an organ recital. I'm going to- You can you can, you can can stop and redirect any conversation, Randy, so we'll- I, I'm got, I, I have caught myself, I have caught myself, I have. Yeah,
1: I, have. I, I actually love that one because, you know, I, I often say that getting old is great. It is the aging that sucks, right? But we're not going to talk about those aches and pains because you know the reality is where focus goes, energy flows, right? So the more you focus on what hurts, the more stuff you're going to find that hurts. So best to focus on what doesn't hurt. Best to focus on the solution, not the problems. Yeah. I love that one. And
3: um and Tony, that actually you know kind of raises another another um uh,
1: thought that I talk a lot about
3: in the book, which is we tend to conflate aging and illness as though they are one thing. Aging is like a natural state. Um, illness is a disease state and they're, they're not the same. And so, you know, illness is our enemy. Aging is not necessarily our enemy. It's, it's, it's when they might overlap, but we need to think about them differently. There's so many, you know, vibrant people who are in their, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. 100%. And, 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 um, you know, and it's when they become ill that, um, you know, the world gets a little bit darker and smaller, but, uh, but not just by getting chronologically older.
1: Yeah. Again, it's the aging part, but the, 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 the aging is great. It's so the, it's the, the, the...
2: What so, questions do we have, Tara? Do you so, have, have, has Tara um, sent you anything? Yeah,
1: I, she hasn't yet, yeah, but I am going to say just one thing to that. Uh, the reality of it is when we, what we focus on, we get right. Um, there was something else I was going to say to what you said, and I, it just, it just fell out of my head right now. But um, yeah, just because get you're getting
2: old, Tony. That's because yeah, you're getting it, old. This is true. This no. is one of my
1: things. Listen, this is why I'm normally writing things down. Like, even if it's just a one word thing, so I can come back to it. <laughs> Uh, that's okay listen lists
3: are definitely our friend oh without
1: a doubt hundred percent and you know the the and and if you think yourself you can think yourself sick you oh that's what I was going to say disease is actually dis-ease so when you have un unanswered things or 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 really it's about forgiving letting go of stuff because the more anger and resentment you hold the more uneasy your life is the more Mm -hmm. unease the more dis-ease you feel and the more disease you get, disease you get. So that's what I was going to share. So Tara, I don't know if we've got someone or let's see if we've got anything in the chat uh, or if somebody just wants to un and ask a question from what you've heard over the last 50 minutes or so. Uh, this has just been such a great segment and I'm really enjoying the the knowledge and conversation. Can't wait to get into this book. By the way, link is pinned at the top. Make sure you're clicking it and ordering it today so you can uh, also be uh, smarter versus, you know, stupid. So... Um, I'm-
3: so Hi, the...
4: this is Corey. Hi, Corey. Hello, Ms. Corey, how are you? Hi, I'm doing good. I'm sorry. I didn't write my question in the chat, but when, so I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm a professor. And so I, I work with a lot of different age groups and I'm also in the construction industry. And in that industry, we're finding that we have more generations of people working together than we've ever had before. And so mm-hmm the language of communication that is happening at each level of generation is very different. And I'm finding that it's really hard for those in older generations to be able to understand some of the language usage of the younger generations. And so there becomes an intimidation to actually be able to speak because you're worried about offending someone, but at the same time, you're not used to using language that way. Uh, how how do you address that?
3: Well, that's that's a really good point, Corey. And um, you know, and sometimes we're not even talking about language among younger people because if you you know look at how we text, you know, it can be all emojis and emoticons. And I know for many people, it's like, well, you know. What you know? What is that? They're not. They're not even words, and um, and so on. You know, I'm 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 very much a believer in building bridges, which means that both generations need to uh, you know come together, and and again, they need to, we need to listen, and we need to ask questions when we don't understand. You know, I know my generation. We had certain slang that our parents didn't understand, and you know, in part, that was to kind of uh, sort of define ourselves in a certain way and to be you know separate. But um, and so there's a little bit of that going on, but. You know, we need to ask. You know, Urban Dictionary is like this great resource when you don't know what something means to to go look it up and see what it actually means. Um, but asking is is really is really helpful, and that, that can lead to another another kind of conversation where we learn a little bit.
2: Thank you so much for the question. Oh, Tara posted one right here. What are you focused on within the next six months biggest goal and how can people reach out to you that's actually three questions that's three
3: questions so that's That's three those are great questions so people can reach out to me i have a website it's my name stephenpetro.com and um you can there's contact um information there um i'm working on a new book so that's um that's going to take me a little bit longer than six months, but um, I recently signed a contract with Random House, and it's um it's a book about joy, finding it, uh, cultivating it, and sharing it. And in part, it comes out of this book, um, so it's one of the lessons that I learned. And um, so I'm really excited to to be to be working on that. It's due next summer, and then. Randy, it'll be out in the summer of uh, 2024, so I hope to be on your podcast again. Though. You will be
2: on my podcast, I'm sure, probably before then. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: and then, you know, so my biggest goal, my, my biggest goal is, is, that that's my, um, you know, my biggest professional goal. I, I recently was at a retreat in Mexico. It's a wonderful place. It's called the Modern Elder Academy.
2: Kip Conley, he's done the show. Chip Conley, yes. And actually, I will say, Chip Conley's show on my podcast is consistently just one of the highest rated shows ever. Well, just, he's, gonna, he's an amazing, at the top of my list all the time.
3: He's an amazing person, he's an amazing teacher, and that, um, this workshop was really about learning how to be more vulnerable with others, and how to, mm-hmm. how to sort of, you know, we all have, like, these tapes in our head that are, let's just say, not always the most positive, they're critical. And, you know, but everyone has them. And so part of this was like sharing them and realizing sort of the universality of all of that and helping to diminish them and finding ways, you know, again, ways to connect. And um, Randy, one of the exercises, maybe we'll have to do this sometime, it was like taking a partner and looking into their eyes for 25 minutes. Now, I found this incredibly difficult. And apparently I fell asleep sitting up with my eyes open because I didn't hear like the whole second part of this. Um, It was that intimidating, but you know, little practice, it really kind of helps you see into people in in, in new ways. So it was actually, it was a cool exercise.
2: I think I could do that. My husband would rather die, it it would never happen. He he would be like, no, I'm gone, find me at the bar. It would never happen. But I think I could, look, I love what Dana just wrote on social media. I wake up and shout for joy every day it helps start the day. And I can I get a visual on that that's a pretty sweet visual.
3: Well in the end and one of my takeaways from from the Modern Elder Academy is, and this is not narcissistic, but I, I look in the mirror. I look in my eyes in the mirror every morning and I say, good morning. I love you. I trust you. Let's let's go have a good day. But it's kind of a, a starting point for connection that hopefully I'm going to be able to share with others and
2: part Oh, of my, I wake to... up in the morning and I look at the dog and say it's 5 you little yeah. I don't have quite the same start. Too much.
3: <laughs> you know, will Randy will FaceTime in the morning? Yeah, and, uh, I'll, look in, I'll look into your eyes. And Tony, you're welcome to join too. Morning. Well,
1: listen, we we don't all have we all people say. Well, I don't have a morning routine. Yeah, you do. It probably just doesn't serve you. But I do love that because, and I was sharing that this morning in in another room that I that I do. We were doing a room on forgiveness um, mm-hmm. in the morning and. You know one of the things i share all the time is to do that mirror work to look in the mirror and tell yourself i appreciate you i forgive you i accept you i love you whatever it is but while you're doing that it's not just looking in the mirror because most people just look in the mirror they look at their hair they glance at their eyes look at their ears the wrinkles their teeth You know, Mm -hmm. maybe that's extra skin, the way that they look and everything else. But seldom do they look at the mirror. Seldom do you you look at the mirror and look in your eyes for more than two or three seconds. So I'm going to challenge everybody that's here. And, and Randy, if you haven't done this, look at yourself in the mirror and do not break contact for at least a minute. A minute. It's only 60 seconds. And and and, and, but say the words, right? Mm -hmm. I appreciate you. I accept you. I forgive you. I'm proud of you whatever it is you long to hear from other people do that it will change your life and the longer you do it so i've never done it for 20 minutes uh steven so i i i will i will absolutely accept that challenge it will change your life i have i saw a a field combat medic 27 year field combat medic in the field break down in front of me after Mm -hmm. looking in the mirror for for just five minutes and he says tony i haven't seen myself in 20 years, matter of fact, there hasn't been a mirror in my house in 15. Right. Uh, because he was ashamed of who looked back. So the act of looking in the mirror, that mirror work, is so freaking powerful. I'm so glad you brought that up, Stephen.
3: And I'm just going to mention one last thing because I know we're just about out of time. So another thing that I've been doing that came out of um, um, the MEA Modern Elder Academy is, I um, this is a um, it's, it's called my, it's a mindfulness journal, but basically it's a gratitude journal. And so every day no matter what, I write down two or three things that I'm grateful for before I go to bed. And it really, um, it makes me think of the positive. Cause you know, we all have negative things that happen during the day or that we're vexing and, and this and that, but to go to sleep on a positive note, being grateful for the people in your lives, you know, my dog, you know, the, a beautiful day. It can be small things it can be big things. There's so many studies that show that this has a positive impact on our psychology. So, you know, if there are two things to take away from this, you know, it's the mirror work and it's, um, it's finding ways to express gratitude.
1: Yeah, and gratitude is another key. I mean, forgiveness, gratitude, that mirror work. If you write down, I promise you, in, in this end of the challenge, I challenge everybody to do this write down three things you're grateful for every night. And it could be the same thing, preferably add three new things. And when Mm -hmm. you do that at night, you'll also sleep better because you'll go to sleep thinking about those things that you want instead of going to bed thinking about the bills or that thing that isn't going right, the things that keep you up at night. You know, I'd love to say that I don't care what keeps you up at night. I want to know what wakes you up in the morning because plenty of stuff will keep you up at night. But writing down your gratitude at night sets you up for a restful sleep and more pleasant dreams. And then starting in the morning saying what are you grateful for also gives you a better day. And the challenge is this. If you would would wake up tomorrow with only the things you were grateful for today, what would you have left? Mm -hmm. It's a great question.
2: We're at 11.59. Okay, I will say this because Amelia gets on to me that I never talk about it. I have mentioned, I talk about the fact that I have a podcast, but I actually never tell anybody how to get there. It is literally Jones.show on mm-hmm. any podcast platform. I am very blessed. So many of these people that come on to this show, a lot of the guests on this show have been on my podcast. That's how I meet them and I bring them in here. So if you're curious about that, jones.show, stephenpetro.com, uh, I, I adore this man. I adore you so much. I am so profoundly grateful for the work you do and for someone who does work that really can have such a positive impact on people. Uh, Stupid things I won't do when I get old, I think is epic, I really do. I think it has it, it. has a conversation. I'm not shy about this, I've said this to you. Um, I think it's a conversation that has to be had and it's had in a truthful, whimsical, interesting way. And I'm so glad that you wrote it. So to yeah. Robert and Dana on social, my God, the Robert and Dana show yes. would be epic. Would Thank be you. epic if they had their own podcast. Robert and Dana on social media, you need your own podcast. Tony transfer us out of
1: oh, here. Fantastic. Again, thank you. Thank, thank you. thank you. gentlemen. Yeah, Stephen, thank you. And just stay on after we'll we'll, we'll uh, kill the broadcast and we'll stay on for a minute afterwards. But thank you everyone for being here. Thank you, Stephen, for coming on, sharing your time, sharing your, your wisdom, sharing your not just a piece of your mind, but a piece of your heart. Uh, thank you for being here. Make sure that you're clicking that link above. Um, to order the book and if you're watching on social media or YouTube or LinkedIn, I actually put the website for stephenpetro.com so you can find in there as well. Make sure that you're following Randy, of course, on Jones.show Petro, Petro. Petro, darn it, Petro. Petro. Like, like
2: uh, sort listen, of. Petro.
1: I, I will so get it the next time.